Hi, and welcome to SN Off the Shelf. I'm Chloe Riley, executive editor of Supermarket News. Uh, the commercial real estate services firm JLL just released a report on growth in the grocery industry. And here to help break down that report uh, for us is James Cook, America's Director of Retail Research for JLL, also host of the weekly podcast Where We Buy, which covers retail and real estate. As well, uh, he's also the host of the video show Everything We Know About Retail. James, thank you so much for joining us. Chloe, thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. We recently had you on everything we know about retail, so it's so much fun for me to come on your show. Yeah, thank you, and thank you so much for having me. Um, James, where, uh, where are you joining us from today? I live in uh, outside of Indianapolis, sort of in the farmland. My neighbors are cows and cornfields. I understand that. I have a similar <laughs> background. Are you, uh, if you're in Indiana, are you experiencing the sub-zero temperatures we're experiencing in Illinois today? I am, Chloe. I went out this morning to uh, check on our chickens and uh, did not have a heavy enough jacket on and really reg regretted it. It is freaking cold out there. <laughs> it's so cold. It's so It shouldn't be allowed to be this cold I know. in the Midwest. Um, all right. Well, so James, um, you know, let's look at, look a little bit at this report here. Uh, the report, you know, kicks off with a stat. Uh, we're looking at, you know, all the HEB Publix and grocery, grocery outlets. Uh, those were our supermarket sectors, you know, growth leaders in 2022. Um, so kind of help us break that down. You know, is there any surprises in that data or does that kind of make sense to you uh, taking a look at that stuff? Yeah, I mean, overall, it made sense. We do this sort of grocery report every year. And the main part of the research is we go and look at every new grocery store that opened in the U.S. in the past year and try to come to conclusions about who is expanding, how fast they're expanding. And it's been a the trend is really a continuation of what we've seen for a number of years now. The small format uh, grocers, primarily Aldi and grocery outlet, you know, like the hard discount grocers with, um, you know, no frills. They're opening the most locations, um, but they're smaller locations. Um, meanwhile, some of the bigger, uh, the big regional brands like HEB in Texas, um, Publix, uh, which is now well beyond Florida, but <laughs> sort of initially the Florida brand, those opened a bunch of new locations too, not nearly as many as like all the opened almost 50, um, they opened, you know, HEB opened 12 locations, public, pu Publix opened 25. Um, but they're all, those stores are so much bigger. I mean, you know, HEB does these, has done these flagships. I think the most recent one was in Plano um, with, you know, over 100,000 square feet. They've got like, you know, quick service restaurants in them, you know, so all kinds of different stuff. Publix, you know, great, still experiential retail, but smaller, say maybe 50,000 square feet. And then you compare that with, say, an Aldi, which is, I don't know, say 20,000 square feet on average, so much smaller. And because of that, they're able to open a lot more in, in more locations in a year. Yeah, yeah, that's real interesting. I know we have the news, too, uh, just recently of, you know, Aldi. I think it was already in the works, but it technically opened its, you know, big, um, big new distribution center, um, I think in Alabama, just a couple days ago, um, had kind of the, the grand opening of that. And that's going to be able to support, I think, as many as like 100 stores within that region. So 
Yeah. yeah, that's and that's an interesting thing that the public doesn't always recognize is that if you're going to aggressively open new stores, you've got to get a, you've got to have a way to get the goods to them on a regional basis. And that does mean going in and opening these large, you know, warehouse distribution centers. Yeah, um, so interesting. Uh, so uh, I want to pivot to we also saw an increase in these smaller format store concepts in 22. Uh, we saw this from brands like Schnucks and Save Mart and Meyer. Um, what's the, you know, what's the benefit of sort of the smaller footprint store? You know, why, why, why do you think we're seeing things sort of trend that way? Yeah. So, right. There's a lot of experimentation on trying out smaller formats. And I think, I don't know, you know, I, I don't have exact insight into what the strategy is, but I'm, I'm sure if you're a larger grocer and you see these small formats, oh, quickly opening up a bunch of locations, your, your, you know, your competitors, and you think, boy, you know, if we had some smaller stores, we'd be able to open up more of them in a faster, um, in a shorter amount of time. And so I think the idea is, you know, let's experiment with some smaller formats and see how they go. I don't think any of the large, you know, any of the banners with large sizes have really experimented uh, or haven't have rolled out as many as we've seen by say Lidl or Aldi or grocery outlet. Um, but there's, there's certainly some, some experimentation going on out there right now. Yeah. Well, even as you and I were talking about uh, when I was on your show, um, even that high V, you know, they've got a, a big plan right now to expand, grow and expand their dollar fresh markets with that exact, you know, that exact idea that they can't, uh, you know, they can get into communities that they can't get a big, a big high V into. Um, and then obviously, you know, the benefit of the, of the dollar store and the attractiveness of that right now. Um, so. Yeah, that's right. I didn't, I should have brought that up. The dollar store is the big, you know, potential competitor as we're sort of going into potentially a recession right now, everybody's looking to stretch their dollars as far as they can. Meanwhile, chains like Dollar General are doing like a thousand new stores a year and they're offering some, not not a lot, but some grocery offering, some fresh grocery. And so that's a real competitor to, to do, you know, these mainstream large format grocers. And I think that they're just trying to think about ways to, you know, stay relevant to the budget shopper. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for grocery right now, that's just, we're leaning very hard into private label, leaning hard into, you know, all of those deals uh, and coupons and digital coupons. Um, I was going to say, I know there's kind of a specific section in the report on private label growth. Um, You know, we know consumers kind of can't get enough of that right now. Uh, what, What else are you guys seeing in terms of private label in your report? Yeah. I mean, private label, it's so interesting. You know, when I was young, the private label, we just called that generic and we didn't want anything to do with it. You know, like if mom brought home the, the generic cereal, we were up in arms, um, which she often did by the way, cause we weren't, we weren't wealthy, but, um, these days, um, many brands, many chains have done such a good job with private labels to the point where, you know, for example, you know, uh, if somebody moves away from, you know, the Publix or the HEB and suddenly they don't have access to those private labels that they offer, they're, they're really upset about it. Um, the great thing about private labels is you can only, you know, they're only available in your store, so they're exclusive. And then the margins are a lot higher because you're not dealing with a third party. So right now, inflation, it's slowing, but it's still specifically for food, like in November, um, 
food at home inflation was 12%, which is that is a lot that far outpaces almost everything else that people are buying. So any way that you can offer um, something for sale that's the margins are better and maybe it's more cost effective to the shopper. I mean, that's just great news for you as a, as a supermarket. Right, right. Yeah, that's so true. Um, and then to go back with your, you know, the person who we're seeing the biggest growth, you know, store wise, we're also seeing, you know, Aldi, you know, takes the cake when it comes to, uh, you know, private label, obviously, you know, 90% of its store items are, are own brand items. Um, it's interesting too. I was going to give you this for comparison. So even though Walmart, had four of the top five private brands in its portfolio. It doesn't touch. It has. It doesn't touch at all. All these, you know, the the growth all these having with private labels. So, so all these private share for grocery household, you know, kind of everything private label was seventy seven percent of its total share, share sales. Uh, you know, whereas by comparison, Walmart's private label only accounted for twenty three percent of total sales, uh, which is interesting. Just. You know, you can have you can have the top private brands, but it doesn't necessarily translate to, you know, it making the majority of your sales. So, yeah. Well, and when you browse through an Aldi, I mean, it's just you see so many brands that, you know, to the untrained eye, you're like, oh, this is a fancy European import. You know, I should be paying more for this. But you don't realize that, oh, no, these are their their brands that they've created and, you know, control um, and have been selling in, in their you know stores overseas for years. They're very sly. They know that we, <laughs> we paltry Americans, we have no idea if it looks fancy, if it looks European, you know, yeah, right. we'll, take, we'll take it. <laughs> um, I know that uh, your report also had a spotlight on Canada, which kind of had a similar takeaway that, you know, similarly to the U.S., you know, value is still predicted to be a big driver for grocery sales in 2023. Yeah, I think, um, and I'm not Canadian, but we have a Canadian analyst on our team who, who, um, contributes to this report, you know, and his, his take was the Canadian shopper has always been value oriented, maybe even a little more than the American. I don't know. That's probably up for de debate. But now more than ever, they're seeing the highest inflation in Canada that they've seen in 40 years. And so, you know, anecdotally, they're seeing a lot more nice cars in uh, the, the kind of, you know, no, low blah, 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 blahs, no frills and Dollarama and Costco in those parking lots than they used to see. Um, so a lot more shoppers kind of trading down for value. They're also seeing kind of the push for private labels and, you know, the, the push against, you know, the unfortunate, the cost, cost being higher. So margins kind of slimming in a lot for a lot of these chains as well. Yeah. Yeah, James. So it's, it just sounds like, you know, to me, this just feels like this is the common sense of where we're at right now, that these are yeah. just sort of sort of the times. And until we start to see, you know, kind of the needle really tick in a different direction, um, you know, we're just kind of here, just kind of here waiting. Um, I, I'd like to switch over to restaurant spending, uh, people eating out in restaurants. Uh, your report indicates that momentum actually swung back in favor of restaurant spending in 2022. And uh, I think data is showing that, you know, while consumers might be dining out less often, they're definitely starting to spend more on restaurant meals than we've seen uh, maybe in the last couple of years even. Um, yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. For quite some time, I would say for a decade before, and, and I should have had this in front of me, but about, let's say 10 years before 2020, um, restaurant spending on average 
for an average family was higher than grocery spending in the U.S. Then 2020 hits, and obviously, <laughs> suddenly, we're all just cooking at home again. That flipped um, for a while, but now has, again, reversed itself. So by 2022, um, we've really seen that completely reverse itself. So folks were back to dining out again more uh, than they were spending in grocery stores. Now, this is this is uh, when you look at dollars and maybe not what they're getting. I mean, obviously, the prices for both grocery stores and dining out have increased. I would argue that um, dining out is even more expensive. You know, the increase is even higher. So that plays a role. Um, but, you know, Americans famously love spending money on eating out. <laughs> and so I think the minute that, you know, in the, the depending on the state, this happened at different times, but sort of the minute people started feeling safe after the lockdowns um, or were allowed uh, kind of the return to, you know, even just an inexpensive sort of fast casual, you know, maybe like a Chipotle or a Panera or something like that. People were kind of rushing back to that. Yeah, I think that's and I think that's such a good distinction to make, you know, that when we talk about people returning to restaurants, that it can mean, like you're saying, you know, fast casual. Um, because in my mind, I keep going to, you know, I feel like I look at my own um, patterns of behavior, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID. I mean, there's so many changes, but but definitely going out to eat is one. Um, I know myself, I used to work in the in the service industry, you know, back in the day. And, yeah, me too, uh, and, me too. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's been so, I mean, it has been interesting to like observe just the way, way like drop in service, like the quality of service. Um, and I don't even mean like, you know, oh, everybody's terrible, but it's, you know, I totally kind of felt like I was coming up in an age of like, oh, service, there are real steps of service. And it's interesting to see some of that go away. For me, I noticed that's why part of why I don't go out to eat as much. You know, I just think, oh, well, I used to really like you know, kind of getting those steps of service. And I, I feel like I've seen it, you know, really drop, which makes me, uh, you know, way more likely to stay at home and, and make some food rather than going out. So yeah, the co the cost and the quality of labor, um, because of the cost of and just availability of labor means that the quality of service overall is definitely taking a downturn in the US. This is a little bit off topic. But one of the things that JLL does is we manage shopping centers and shopping malls. And we don't, uh, my group doesn't own them, but we manage them for the owners. And I was just talking to a mall manager yesterday and a lot of the smaller stores in that mall, they used to pre COVID, they would have two people working the store, you know, running it during the day. Now they can just have one person. So the stores, some of them are having to close for the lunch breaks of these people, which you never saw a mall store close for an hour during lunch before. That's just something <laughs> no. that's totally new. So fewer people just, that means just the quality just isn't, isn't there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I just from word of mouth, uh, you know, keeping in the industry, definitely, you know, the turnover and the, uh, you know, lack of ability to, you know, the just issues with retention and being able to, you know, train people or, you know, get people on board who kind of, um, you know, feel grounded in, in service and in, in what the restaurants have to offer too. Um, yeah, definitely. I know that's something I'm really keeping an eye on myself too, is to see how that, how the restaurant industry really rebounds from, uh, from, you know, the last several years. Yeah. 
Um, I was going to say e-commerce sales. Um, I know we've seen kind of a slight downtick here as more, you know, food shoppers are returning to shopping in store. Um, But then obviously, you know, we're still seeing retailers continue to invest and partner with third-party delivery as well. Um, So uh, what what were some of the takeaways in the report on in that regard? Yeah, I mean, nothing like really groundbreaking here. We saw this huge in 2020 again, we just saw this huge jump um, in gross, specifically not, well, all e-commerce, but today we're talking about grocery, specifically grocery e-commerce jumped by over 55% in 2020, which is just absolutely unprecedented since then. Um, it's that growth rate has come down. It's still, we're still seeing, you know, say 13, 14, 15% annual growth rate in grocery e-commerce. Um, but, and that includes both click and collect and then, also delivery, but the overall penetration of e-commerce in the grocery sector is still quite low. It's a lot lower than say the apparel sector, for example. Um, and that's purely because it is very difficult to make money (laughs) doing click and collect and delivery because you're shifting all of that assembly and collection and delivery, uh, labor on, on the shoulders of the grocer. And you really have to, I mean, you really have to charge for it. And I don't, and I think because of that consumers, a lot of them are like, well, if that's to pay for, I might as well do it myself. Sure. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You totally spot on. This is an area that's, you know, just expected to have immense growth, um, online grocery shopping, you know, uh, and, uh, Yes, trying to figure out what uh, what that equation is uh, to make it work is just something that I think we're we're going to continue to have conversation after conversation about. Um, uh, now, this is something, James, that I'm very excited for you to help us break down because I'm not as familiar with it. Um, but grocery anchored retail shopping centers. Um, <laughs> What a mouthful. <laughs> right. It just rolls off the know. tongue, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> Trippingly. <laughs> um, yes, we'd love to hear more. I know we saw uh, an increase in transaction volume, but I'd love for you to break this down for our audience, uh, maybe some of whom are not as familiar like myself uh, with this kind of sector. Um, but we'd love to hear what, what you're seeing and what this is all about. Yeah. One of the things that we do at JLL is we advise, we advise investors in property and commercial property. And in my team, it's specifically around retail properties. So that might mean somebody owns a mall or somebody owns like an unanchored strip mall or somebody owns a grocery anchored retail center, which, you know, in close your mind, you can envision it. There's a grocery store and then there's inline tenants along the side there. And somebody will own that as an investment during 2020. Um, those grocery anchored centers became, that was like the one retail place people were going, right? Um, and they became in the retail world, like the hottest property investment. So uh, transact, you know, the values for these properties really shot up um, in, in 2020. Um, and the demand for them has kind of been pretty high since then. Um Interesting aside, so if you own one of these centers, um, you really make your money not on the rent at the grocery store, but all of those little inline tenants. Those are the ones that kind of pay you the rent where you kind of make your money on. Um, and those are all kinds of different daily needs things like a barber shop and the person that prepares your taxes and all that stuff. And the good news for those centers is those are the kinds of things that haven't shifted online. So there's a continued real strong future value 
for that retail real estate. And so the demand is still high for that. Um, without going too deep into the weeds, the problem now is the Fed keeps raising the interest rates, um, which means the cost to borrow money as a property investor keeps going up and up. And because of that, transaction volumes have really come down. So we're not seeing the, since inflation and interest rates have gone up, we're not seeing the high levels of, of um, property investment that we saw like a year or two ago. Um, but regardless of that, like the grocery anchored shopping center seems to be like the big, you know, hot retail investment property, especially not like office, you know, people aren't really investing in office right now because of, hmm. you know, this disruption in office. So it's really um, apartment buildings, industrial is still hot. And then I think retail comes in kind of third as far as commercial property investment attraction right now. Great. Well, James, thank you for this, uh, you know, kind of uh, retail adjacent lesson I, today. I hope it wasn't too in-depth for your audience. I tried <laughs> to pull it back a little bit, but I heard myself and I was like, uh-oh, he's going too in the weeds. <laughs> he's going, he's getting deep on retail shopping centers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold him back. No, it's great. Very, very fascinating stuff. I'm sure our audience will find it valuable. Um, James, anything else, anything else that stands out from the report? Any uh, last takeaways that are coming to mind that you'd like to share? I think, I think the big takeaway for me is we've not seen the end of grocer expansion. Uh, the big, the big brands, uh, especially the big brands in places where people are moving to like Florida, Texas, Southeast, um, uh, Arizona is another one where there's still residential growth, we're going to see new large format grocers opening. Um, we're going to continue to see um, small formats. So like that we talked about like Dollar General, um, the other dollar formats, they're going to open new locations. And we fully expect all these got a lot of runway as does Lidl and grocery outlet to open more locations as well. So sort of a continuation of that is on the horizon for 2023. Great. Well, we will be keeping an eye on that for sure. Um, James, I was going to say too, where can, uh, where can listeners find, uh, you know, your podcast, where we buy, uh, as well as a video series, you know, everything we know about retail. The easiest way is we've got, um, the web website, uh, where we buy dot show. That'll take you to the website, to the, where we buy podcast, And that's also in any audio app that you're probably listening to right now. Just search for where we buy. And then um, you can find the video show on YouTube and this website will take you right there. Everything we know dot show. Great. James, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to help us break down this report. And, uh, and thanks again so much for joining us today. Thank you, Chloe. It's gone by in a flash. 